from Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Game seven is supposedly the two best words in sports, but the version we got last night was a shellacking. It was a butt kicking. It was an absolute whooping, and it was a statement for the Miami Heat against the Boston Celtics, and the Heat dominate Boston 103-84. They're headed to the NBA Finals. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. First and foremost, we had a blast yesterday hanging out, uh, filling in for Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. It was still a little weird getting in the car yesterday and seeing the words Fitz and Harry and not hearing our voices, but... We are happy to be back right where we belong with you from noon to three as we are. If you checked us out yesterday for the first time on the morning show, thanks for coming back, checking us out today. Harry, yesterday I looked at the camera and I squarely said, I don't know who's going to win. By about midway through the third last night, that was no longer a question because Miami didn't just beat Boston. Miami left one of those marks that's going to live on in the memory of Celtics fans for quite a long time. They kicked their asses. Yes, they did, Fitz, and I thought one of the things that stood out to me mainly in that basketball game was the three-point percentage for both teams. Miami shot 50%, the Boston Celtics shot 21%. That's a significant difference when you look at the two teams. Also, the Miami Heat, the quality of shots that they were getting. They were getting open looks, looks that you shoot in warm-ups, and that's phenomenal because we call those not good shots, Fitz, but great shots. But it speaks to the volume of everyone on the basketball court for the Miami Heat, who, whichever five that was out there at the time on the court when they was making these open looks. Ball movement assists. The Miami Heat had 28 assists in this game. Uh, that was phenomenal. It's just crazy to me that a team that lost a game so devastating in a game six come out in a game seven and did not let that affect them but it started with their head coach, Eric Spostra, in postgame, saying, right now, right now, if we could play right now, we would love to do so. But they had to wait 48 hours. One of the things that they did not disappoint on Memorial Day yesterday at 8.30 p.m. from the moment that game finished is that they played an overall great game. And they were the better team yesterday in this entire series yeah i mean to me part of this harry is about urgency we've talked about that it's about energy it's about belief it's about all of those cliche and cheesy cliches but they were real last night yep. when when this game started and for me part of what really was stunning is that we looked at game six and said man you got these great contributions from everybody else if you're Miami, but you didn't get enough from Bam. You didn't get enough from Jimmy. What are you going to do now? Did you waste that game? What was really amazing to me, and it started early on from the Heat, is that everybody else, everybody not named Bam, not named Jimmy, not only were they shooting confidently, they'd obviously been given the go-ahead to do so. We saw guys like Struz putting up shots all of a sudden early on in the game that necessarily weren't necessarily designed looks for him. It was just one of those moments where he came around, he had the right look, he took that shot. We saw yep. a confidence from Martin. We saw a confidence from Gabe Ooh. Vincent. Like, all over the place, when you look at it, the other guys for the Heat came out with a confidence that the, the, the Celtics simply didn't have. So you brought up one name that I thought was just phenomenal, not just in Game 7, 
but this entire series. And I thought he was the best player for the Miami Heat this entire series. He started out early on, coming off the bench, and then Eric Sposter decided that, you know what? We need Caleb Martin scoring. We need his energy. He can create his own shot. So we have to insert him into the starting lineup, and he did not disappoint at any moment. Yesterday, he had 26 points, 10 rebounds. He was lethal from the three-point line, but also when the Boston Celtics felt like times and times again, over and over again, that they were going to come back in that ball game, Caleb Martin said, no, 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 no. He hit him with the Matambo wave. No, 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 no. Not today you won't. Not tonight you won't. No, 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 no. I'm going to make a play and make a key basket for my team to keep us in a position to where we can be up and have, I won't say a comfortable lead, but a good enough lead to feel, you know, feel great about ourselves. Well, and, and look, I, I don't want to ignore the huge portion of this game, the elephant in the room for so many people. We saw it in the opening play, right? Jason Tatum uh, steps on somebody's foot, rolls his ankle, looked painful. I mean, just it looked bad. It looked painful. He was obviously not himself throughout the course of the game. He was hobbling throughout the course of the game. I don't want to take anything away from that. That obviously yep. changed the way this game played out. That doesn't change the fact, though, that you needed guys to hit shots. And one thing that, you know, you mentioned how poorly the Celtics shot from three, and that that is real. They were 21.4% in this. They were 9 of 42 from three. Uh, but I will remind everybody that Jason Tatum was only one of four. It's the rest of the team that wasn't able to shoot from three. When you look across the board at what we actually saw from the Heat, you saw guys like Duncan Robinson who would have every excuse. Duncan Robinson missed two looks that were incredible. He had every excuse. And what, and what did I tell fold. you, though? It, this is a game of what? Misses, right? Right. But shooters still shoot. And I said, like, a guy like Duncan, Duncan Robinson in game six, if you would have bet me $100,000 that he was going to score 10 points in the fourth quarter, I would have took you $100,000, mm-hmm. right? But he didn't let it affect him because in the game seven, it's win or go home. It's NBA finals or not. You go down home with your head down because you've lost to the same team two years in a row in a game seven on the exact day this time uh, last year. But Duncan Robinson and everyone else in that Miami Heat team, because of the leadership of Spostra, because of the leadership of Jimmy Butler, let that game go. You had to let it go, and you had to move on to game seven. And that's what everyone did for the Miami Heat. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. And and, uh, what you just said there was the hardest part for me yesterday. We kept saying this. When you are watching the ball bounce and you're realizing that you were tenths of a second away from going to the NBA Finals, yeah. how would you emotionally respond? I, I honestly didn't know. I, I had no idea what version of the heat we would get out of that. To your point with Robinson, instead of sitting there saying, man, I could have sent us to the Finals with two wide open looks, he was four or six from the floor, two or three from three, wildly efficient in 20 minutes with 10 points. I know it's only 10 points, but it just speaks to the ability the heat had to compartmentalize whatever happened, throw it away, come back, and be the best version of themselves yet again. Like, this is a Heat team, too, that early on this game was tight. It was going back and forth, and you just kept thinking, it was 22 to 15 after the first. But it just kept sort of bouncing back and forth. It felt like Boston kept getting it to seven, eight, nine points, right? Mm-hmm. There were the opportunities for the Heat to fold through any of this. There, I was waiting for this game seven moment for Tatum to suddenly lose the limp and be great. That never happened. But more importantly, every time the Heat took a punch, they counterpunched. Game six did yeah. not matter to them at all, and yeah. you could feel that. And I, and I will say this, too. 
because we can't lose the fact that Gabe Vincent does make a difference on this team when he's at the point guard position. Mm-hmm. That's why Eric Spoelstra decided um, at some point during this regular season that he was going to insert him in that position and Kyle Lowry is going to come off the bench. The way he was able to control the pace too, but also even though he had 10 points, I think the baskets that he that he made – Every last one of them was at, at key moments where the Miami Heat, I, I felt like, needed that basket. And he just did a phenomenal job. Missed the game five with the ankle injury, came back in game six, um, was decent in that matchup as well. Game seven, orchestrating things, putting the Miami Heat in positions to be successful. That was phenomenal. But all the undrafted free agent guys that this team has played like, they had the confidence, played like they knew they were the team that was supposed to be in the NBA Finals, and that's what happened. Yeah, by the way, I said loudly yesterday that Bam Adebayo has been at times in this series soft. I, I don't think there's any nice way to say that. Last night, on a night he wasn't particularly offensively efficient for a big portion of the game. He didn't have to be. They commented on it on the broadcast. You could feel it watching it. He realized that he was not getting in rhythm offensively still, but man, he's talking was about a, Bam? Yeah, but Bam was a force on the boards. I mean, absolute like for somebody that I said yesterday, I just want to like if I'm gonna call mm-hmm. him soft one day, then I at least gotta come in and acknowledge that everything he did was exactly what we hoped he would do. Like I yeah. root for players to be their best. Man, Bam was out there with a bit of it like wild. Well, I gotta say this though, wildness first. to it. Yeah. I gotta say this, because I don't I don't think this can be ignored no longer. Right now, as the Miami Heat are constructed. I don't think Bam Adebayo is their second best player. Right now, for me, that's Caleb Martin. It's Jimmy Butler, then it's Caleb Martin. The way he showed up in this series in the Easter Conference Finals coming off the bench and then when he got inserted into the starting lineup, it's evident with his scoring, with his timely scoring, his percentages from the three-point line, but not just being a a shot maker, you know, getting on the defensive boards and rebounding. That's been key and vital also for the Miami Heat from Caleb Martin. So I have him as the second best player on this Miami Heat team as is constructed at the moment right now. Yeah, You're a thousand percent right, by the way. Caleb Martin, when they needed a bucket, when they needed somebody to go and, and, and create a shot, when they needed something offensively, Absolutely, Caleb Martin was the one that got it done. Uh, Granger, by the way, uh, we uh, there we go. Uh, Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin, the Heat got it done. Getting it done brought to you by Granger with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger has the right product for you. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. We got plenty to break down from the Heat side. We want to give credit to the victors in all of this. But as we continue to look at this, there's a very fair question. What the hell happened with the Celtics? And most importantly, How do you fix it? Not an easy answer. We'll try to figure it out next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. The Heat stop the Celtics in Boston and make history themselves. They become just the second eight seed ever to make the NBA Finals. We like it the hard way. We never want it easy. We got to go get some endeavor. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. And that was just the beginning of what was a difficult night for Boston. By the way, the heat is on. Has Harry doing some weird? Like I don't know what it is about white music, but like it, you know, it's just Harry. It, it's funny because my, my guy can dance, but you know, oh, it, it, it goes away. Fitz and Harry, by the way, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel eighty. Uh, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive protects your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, and RV, and 
Could save you money. Visit Progressive.com. Uh, I, real quick, I know we got to get to the Celtics right away. I just want to quickly remind everybody, I will be on one for the next several days because the Vegas Golden Knights last night got a 6 nothing win and are headed to the Stanley Cup final. I'm just saying, I'm going to be on one. Uh, so whatever my it. usual level of energy is, has it. ramped up times 1,000. Uh, not, uh, not lost, by the way. The Heat beat the Celtics in TD Garden. The Panthers beat the Bruins in TD Garden. Oh. It's the second season ever that one metro area eliminated a different metro area in the NHL and NBA in the same building. The other time that happened was 1973 when the Rangers eliminated the Bruins. Knicks eliminated the Celtics both in the original Boston Garden. How do you like that for a random fun fact you didn't know you needed? But, (laughs) Harry, I mean, it's all about the optics of part of this. I mean, we talk all the time about Batman and Robin and Tatum and Brown and this duo and who they are. Now the Celtics have to make a decision after what they saw last night because you're looking at $600 million for a couple of guys that weren't able to get this done. And even without Tatum playing his best, obviously, because of the injury, there are a lot of questions about Jalen Brown right now. Well, I, I want to start right there first. I want to start with Jason Tatum on the first possession of the ball game, you know, rolling his ankle. And I think the everything was set from there, from the Boston Celtics, I think negatively, not in a positive light, and also positively for the Miami Heat and company. I'll say when it comes to a point like that, when you see a Jason Tatum who's your superstar player and a guy that you know you're going to be counting on, especially when you know in, 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 in key clutch games and game sevens, he's been phenomenal over the years. Now who's going to step up next? But let me get to as a team first. With that injury, the Boston Celtics in the first quarter had 15 points. That is the least amount of points they have scored this entire season in a first quarter. So now automatically, because one person rolled his ankle, everybody else goes to poop. And you know the word I really want to use. I just can't use it on here because it's not appropriate for radio, for the radio airwaves. But think about it, too. Like, this isn't Jimmy Butler going down for the heat. And the concept has been throughout the course of the playoffs that Jimmy Butler is single-handedly willing the heat to where they are. Now, I know it's not that simple. But, like, if you are Jason Tatum and you go down – I understand that that is not what Celtics fans wanted. But Jalen Brown is supposed to also be him. They're supposed to have him and him, right? Like, they're supposed to have two hims. And so when one of your main guys goes down, but you also have Jalen Brown who's sitting here about looking at max money, this was his chance to show he's a max money guy. No, 100%. And Jalen Brown is kind of hard sometimes for me to to analyze because – he will have these phenomenal games where he can score 30-plus or 40 and be masterful shooting the basketball, but not necessarily all those shots are great shots. It's, it's times last night in that ball game, I thought when the uh, Celtics were trying to make a run, Jalen Brown and his shot selection was just terrible. But then also not being able to take care of the basketball. You cannot be the second-best player on a basketball team, especially when your superstar player is injured. He didn't go out. He stayed out there on the court, but they needed you to step up in a bigger light, and you have eight turnovers in the game. You had eight tur- He had three in the first quarter. You cannot do that on top of the Boston Celtics shooting so poorly from the three-point line. And I'll tell you, Fitz, what's one of the things I told you that was key for the Boston Celtics in them having success? Ball movement. Ball movement. This team only had 18 assists. So that's a testament to show you that they weren't getting the best looks, 
But at the same time, at some point, who in the hell on that bench or on that coaching staff is going to say, hey, guys, maybe we shouldn't shoot so many threes. Maybe we shouldn't go 0 for 10 in the first quarter and then come back and just jack them up even more in the second quarter. Maybe we should take the ball from the rack to the rack. Maybe we should shoot some mid-range jump shots because the damn threes in game six weren't falling and the damn threes in game seven wasn't falling. It speaks to who the Celtics are. I keep hearing people constantly tell me, well, if the Celtics can do this and if they can do that and if they can be this and if they can be that, look at how great they'd be. I don't give a damn about any of that anymore. Like, there is a very clear identity to the Boston Celtics this season. That identity for the Boston Celtics is up and down. Some games they can shoot. Some games they can't. Some games they seem to be invisible. Some games they don't have any offensive identity. Some some games they seem to be focused on what you pointed out, that they need to move the ball around. Some games it seems like they're just standing around hoping their shots fall. Like, the the lack of identity and consistency is the actual identity for the Celtics. we got to stop asking that to change and just realizing that they are who we thought they were, and they showed that in Game 7 at the very home court that they have no home court advantage at. Like, this is just – all of this is worst-case scenario for Boston in my mind. Well, remember when Boston won – what game was it that they had? Was it Game 5 that they won at TD Garden, right? Yeah. And we came on the next day, and one of, our, one of the things that we were talking about was, like, did our mind change? And we both said no. Because just because the Celtics won one game at – uh, at home at TD Garden doesn't mean my mindset is going to change on them or what I've seen happen over a duration of a playoff. <laughs> like not just this series, but the entire playoff series, right? This team at that moment when they won that game, they was just 500 at home and they are two seed. Yeah. So yeah. no, my mindset didn't change when they won that game five. But let's see if JD's mindset in Massachusetts has changed. JD chiming in. Triple eight say ESPN eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. JD, I know you're a sound Celtics fan. What you got for us, man? Thanks for calling the show. Hey, good good hearing you guys on, on the show, man. Listen, let me give you a little bit of history first. First of all, this is my seventy fifth year. The NBA is two years older than I am. I've been around since there was only eight teams in the league. At a baby, so, JD. Okay, so I know basketball. I grew up that way. I grew up with them guys, okay? But here's what I see in the Celtics. They've been playing like this all season long. I knew it was a problem. You know it was a problem. If you're Harry and you know you play ball, there's no way, and in, in, what's his name? Freddie Coleman called call it out best. They have a goofy game in them every four or five games. They play that way. That's on the coach. I'm sorry. That's on the coach. When that happens, you got to stop play and get these boys right, get them back on track. So last night's game did not surprise me. Well, I think that's a great call, J.D., by the way. He he has a great point because at what point in any of those timeouts that Joe Mazzula called, was he going to tell guys, you know what? Let's try to get some better looks. Let's get some ball movement going. Let's not forget what got us in this position to be able to play in a game seven in the first place. When you looked at the last three games, or I should say you looked at the two games prior to, um, to that, you got to be able to move the basketball. They were shooting phenomenal in a few of these games from two-point range. You can't just settle and live by the three and die by the three. Not everyone can shoot like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, Fitz. And even times they have lapses, right? But they're so good because they move the basketball frequently. 
And if they don't, that's when you see a Steve Kerr call a timeout and tell guys to get back to the ball movement. That's what was lacking last night from the Boston Celtics, the ball movement and being able to take the ball to the rack. Yeah, that. so there are a couple of things that really stood out yesterday. One, while the Celtics were doing the same thing over and over again and it wasn't working, the Heat were changing up a bunch. But it raises a big question because the Celtics last night have now a question mark that will move forward to not just what we saw in this series, but we will see for the future moving forward for Boston. The question is, what the hell are they going to do about it this offseason? We'll answer that next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. All right, we're going to have to move some things around here because, frankly, we were about to talk about what's upcoming in this offseason for the Celtics. Plenty to break down on what they're about to do and what they have to figure out now. They have a $600 million decision to make when it comes to what to do with their dynamic duo. But you just heard breaking news from the great Christine Lisi in SportsCenter, and every NBA fan right now is a, a little shooketh to hear it. Golden State's Bob Myers, a two-time executive of the year and an architect of four NBA championships with the Warriors, Stepping down as the franchise's president and GM, he told ESPN on Tuesday. Here's the quote. It's just time, Myers told ESPN. Myers' contract expires in late June. Declined ownership offers on a new deal that would have paid him among the league's top-earning executives. Myers described the decision-making process that led him to leave the franchise after 12 years as including several factors beyond money. He's unsure of his future professional pathway, but should he someday decide to return to the team's side, he's expected to become one of the most pursued executives in modern North American professional sports history. This is important. He's 48 years old. So, Harry, you're talking about somebody that's yep. stepping away right now, telling you money doesn't really matter, which tells you he's probably recalibrating and figuring out what he wants to do. But also, with the resume he has, whenever he decides he wants to get involved in this again, he'll be able to. This is, though, I think more significant than any player transaction you could see right now for Golden State, because this is the guy, this yep. is the glue that's been keeping it together. Well, you talk about a lot of the things that Bob Myers was able to do. Let's talk about the, one of the biggest ones. And hiring Steve Kerr as the head coach for the Golden State Warriors, then also allowing Klay Thompson to get that extension. Around the same time that they were trying to probably, you know, thinking about trading for Kevin Love, he pulled the plug on that and decided to extend Klay Thompson. That worked out to be phenomenal. You look at a guy in Kevin Durant who decided to come to the Golden State Warriors. He had his imprint in that. A guy who's been NBA Executive of the Year twice, 2015-2017 fits, on top of winning four NBA championships, being one of the centerpieces of the core group. And I would say the Golden State Warriors being able to get over that hump, but also at a moment when a lot of people probably thought the door was closed on this group, and a year ago being able to win another NBA championship. Um, I don't know if this is you know, an indictment on how he feels like the Golden State Warriors are going to be moving forward or if the plug, plug has been pulled on this group. Uh, I personally don't believe that the Golden State Warriors are done. As long as you have that core group together, that's Steph uh, Curry, uh, Klay Thompson, and also Draymond Green. But sometimes, you know, it's better to walk away, you know, before it's too late to walk away. 
And I have no problem with Bob Myers saying that he wants to step down because we don't know what what else he wants to do in his life or what he's thinking in his mind. The only thing that is constant in life is change. We all know that, right? And yep. especially when it comes to sports, nobody's going to be anywhere forever. Bob Myers being 48, I think what a lot of people have That's felt like, too. right, it just leaves this window of if you're a Golden State fan, you just sort of presume that the guy running the ship that put it all together was going to be there for so long, it would allow you to continually recharge, right? Like now all of a sudden everything becomes a question mark for Golden State. Sure, Steve Kerr is not a question mark as a coach, but the roster development, how they're going to continue to try and figure out how to win now and whether or not they want to win in the future, what it means for things like Draymond Green and his player option this year. Like these are all things that are now – Questions like that. Yeah. That's just and what yeah. the Golden State Warriors haven't had for the last 10 years are a lot of questions. This is proof that Golden State is about to enter an era where nothing is certain anymore. And that's going to be shocking and a drastic change for the NBA. And Fitz, I would also say this when it comes to Bob Myers and, and, and stepping down, you know, sometimes people feel like they have, you know, more things that they want to accomplish in life than being the president of basketball operations and a general manager of the Golden State Warriors. I mean, and, and that's okay. <laughs> like, think about that, Harry. You you at some point had to make the decision to step away from football, right? Yes. And, and there's a lot that went into it. Like, the number can one— I, Can I tell you my mindset, too, though, yeah. with it? Like, my mindset was, yes, the game of football was, was great to me, and it's kind of another reason why I never let people call me a football player. I was a man that played the game. I didn't want football to define who I was as a person. And I thought I had more attributes to my life to give to this world and also to my family and, and my friends than just me playing football. Yeah, the, the, the number one thing for me, when I wanted to get into sports media, the number one thing that I had to break through, and I do mean breakthrough, like uh, for anyone that doesn't know, you know, obviously I was a musician at the time. And what I started doing was I would fly myself up to Bristol, Connecticut, days before I had any shows up here, and just tell her, oh, I just happened to be around. And when I was meeting with the bosses, trying to convince them that they should let me take this plunge at a successful podcast, I was trying to sell everybody. The number one thing people didn't understand is why would I want to leave the music business? Yeah. And to this day, I still have people in sports that'll come up and be like, yeah, but you want to get back to touring, right? Like, the thing of it is, when you <laughs> have a dream job, people think that that's your dream. For me, I'd accomplished what I wanted to accomplish in music. I didn't, I don't want to do that anymore. And that's still to this day hard for some people that work at ESPN to understand when they're like, why would you want to do this? And then I talk to people that want to do what you and I do every day for a living. And it's like, why would you ever not want to do that? You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, the funny thing for me is like, you're a thousand percent right that Bob Myers, at 48 years old, is in the middle of this culture of championships that's unbelievable for Golden State. And it'd be easy for any of us looking at him to say, well, my God, why would he ever want to stop doing that? But there are also times as somebody from personally that left a band that at the time had just come off of a, a, a relative hit, I walked away from the band. People thought I was crazy. Sometimes you just want to do other things. For for whatever that may be <laughs> yeah. next, for Bob, like sometimes you just want to do other things. Now, the, the key in this is the Golden State. This is where everything gets tricky because Bob can go out and do whatever he wants to do. Like, Bob Myers can go be Bob Myers wherever he wants to be. Golden yep. State now has to figure out how to remain the Golden State Warriors without Bob Myers making that soup. That is going to be the most difficult thing they'll have to face as an organization. In which he was a key piece in everything they've been able to accomplish up until this point. And, you know, I, I salute him because, you know, my brother going to the Golden State Warriors at the time that he was, that was because of Bob Myers. 
So me being able to go out there to the Bay Area, watch Steph Clay and my brother and Draymond and those guys play and have a relationship with them was because Bob Myers was one of the people who anchored that and gave my brother the opportunity to go out to the Bay Area and play. It's, it's amazing how many tentacles somebody like Bob has, right? And like how much impact is made to so many different players, to so many different coaches and to different organizations. Mm -hmm. We'll continue to break this down. The huge news again, Bob Myers is stepping away from the Warriors. He will no longer be their president and GM. At the age of 48, he's decided that he is going to, to walk away. Again, the Warriors are about to have a payroll and luxury tax that, can, that could approach $500 million in 2023-24 oh, without hard God. decisions made. Like, that doesn't include whatever they're going to have to do with Green and Thompson. The new CBA is going to have salary cap limitations as well. Whoever steps into this is going to have to make an immediate decision. Are the Warriors in keep going mode or are the Warriors in rebuild mode? We'll break all of that down and figure out what it means. But speaking of tough decisions, the Warriors have tough decisions. So do the Boston Celtics, and they also have to make those decisions right now. We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. switch. Gordon had Reeves down low and a chance for three. Jokic on the drive. Got deep wow. and scored for the lead with 51.7 to go. The Denver Nuggets have finally done it in their 47th season in the NBA. The Denver Nuggets are going to the NBA Finals. You know, to have an opportunity to play in the NBA Finals, we'll remember for the rest of our life. It's not so much that the Celtics lost. After all, teams trailing 3-0 going into last night had a record of 0-150 when it came to actually winning the series. It's not that Boston <laughs> lost. They got their ass kicked, and that's going to be stuck in everybody's mind. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, and it raises some what's next for Boston questions. And frankly, it is amazing how one game changes so much of this because one game then makes you relook at an entire series and ask if you saw a pattern. One game makes you look at an entire season and ask what you're doing, and one game makes you look at money. I, I, I don't care how much we all look at it as fans, Harry, and think that there's no money involved in this. Let's be real. Boston has to now decide with if they want their roster to have two players earning more than $600 million combined because that's where we will be with Jason Brown, uh, Jalen Brown, I should say, and Jason Tatum. And then can they build enough pieces around it? Brown is eligible to sign a projected $295 million extension this offseason. Tatum can sign for $318 million the following season. So if the Celtics front office decides that th these guys are the franchise – the answer is yes. You're looking at $600 million in money to those two guys, and then they'll have to figure out how to manage the rest of the roster around them, all based on what we just saw in Game 7. I'm glad I'm not writing those checks. <laughs> I'll tell you this, though. I'm, I've been back and forth um, on this subject for a long time. Uh, remember at first, Fitz, I said to myself, you know what, these two, you can't split them up. They have to be together. Then this morning, I'm feeling some type of way uh, I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. You might have to get rid of Brown. 
Well, I've had another change of heart, just like the show I used to watch when I was growing up. Change of Heart. Remember that show, Change of Heart? Yeah, 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 of course. I've had, I have, I've had another one. Okay. When, when I look at these two players, right, and I look at Jason Tatum, and I'm like, damn, he's only 25 years old. I look at Jalen Brown and I say, damn, he's only 26 years old. But at the same time, I say to myself, what I just witnessed in a ball game can I pay these two players $600 million between the two of them? And I think Boston is a, they're, they're a rock in a hard place right now because I can't just sit here and ignore all the great things that Jalen Brown has done and ignore all the great things that Jason Tatum have done. Now, I need these two guys to figure out how to make their games better amongst each other. I think that's room for improvement. Also, I believe both of these players need to work on their handles that much more. It's particularly going to their left because that seems to be where all the turnovers arise, especially Jalen Brown. But if you're Boston, it's all about do you want to deal with the $600 million that both of these guys would demand if you sign both of them to the long-term deal. And that's an astounding amount of money yes, if you're Boston. Is. Like you said, there's $600 million for relevance or $600 million for championships. Two very different conversations. And do these guys even like each other? We've talked so much, and I'm not saying like each other, like hanging out, but do they like yeah. sharing the spotlight? Because you and I have talked a lot about body language. Uh, you know, even even after the game, obviously Jason Tatum going to say all the right things, but even after the game, the first question Jalen Brown's going to be facing is about what the summer looks like. This is what he said at his press conference when he was asked specifically about the summer. I expected to win today um, and move on, and that's what my focus was on. That's what my focus has been on. Uh, we fell, I fell, and it's hard to think about anything else right now, to be honest. Um, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And you and I talked to Jalen Brown when we were filling in on the morning show a while back, sort of asked him the same questions and very, very nondescript in the answers, right? He's staying away from this whole thing. Now, yep. yeah, you can say it's focused, but the other side of it is you just wonder where he wants to be because that's going to be a big part of this equation. And, and that's the thing. If, if Jalen Brown wants to be with the Boston Celtics and understands that there are certain things about his game that he has to get better at, and he 100% is balled in and wants to be there, I feel like the Boston Celtics need to sign him and also keep Jason Tatum. But if there's any doubt within himself, within the organization – I think you have to find a sign. You have to do a sign and trade. I honestly, I honestly believe that. I, I have been so torn on this because finding two superstars is difficult to do, but you got to have two superstars that you believe can make it work together. This is see. What, I, I don't call Jalen Brown a superstar though. I, I call Jalen Brown a star. I, well, the problem is in the NBA, a star uh, eventually becomes eligible for a supermax in this situation. Yep. Once you're all NBA, now this is like the quarterback conversation we have in football all the time. Can you afford to pay a, a decent quarterback all-star money? Brown's eligible to sign a $295 million extension this offseason. He's going to want every penny of that because he should want. He's worked his whole life for this opportunity. He wants the 295 that the CBA offers him in this situation. He's going to want his $295 million. Well, well I'm just talking from perspective – from a perspective of basketball play on the court, I view Jason Tatum as a superstar. 
I don't view Jalen Brown as a superstar. The problem is, if you got to pay him like a superstar, are we going to – because I don't disagree with you. No, I no, think- no. I, I, get, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying when it comes to strictly basketball. Yeah. And- because I do think we got to be careful who we call superstars when it comes to the NBA. Isn't that even more difficult for Boston is all – because you're right. I don't think – if you're telling me right now, the word superstar to me – has some sort of extra. You're a thousand percent right. It has this extra. When I think superstar, I think, you know, guys that impacted the game the way Kobe did. Guys that, like, you can't right now tell the story of the, the league without that guy's name. When when you say that guy's coming on, everybody tunes into a basketball game on Tuesday in the middle of the regular season. Like, it's the, it's the guy when you're getting into a playoff series, you're saying, my God, you got to stop. And let's yep. be very clear. He did not play that. Like, Brown did not play to that level in this series. He Mm -hmm. didn't play to that level in Game 7. He did not play like a superstar. So part of this is, like, are the Celtics going to pay him like a superstar just because it's time to pay him like a superstar? I don't think think he can do that. that. But that's why I said if if there's any doubt on their side, I think they need to follow what their gut is telling them if there's doubt on their end. I I mean, that is – you're a thousand percent right, and the more we talk about this, the more I'm convinced you just can't do it. Like you've got to look at your. You're gonna to have to sell one or two things to your fan base. You're gonna to have to sell that you paid Brown like a super superstar, which means you believe he's going to be that. Or you're gonna to have to sell to your fan base you couldn't justify paying him like a superstar because he's not there. I, I think the latter of those two after Game Seven is a much easier sell to Celtics fans. We want you guys to chime in. Triple Eight, say ESPN eight eight eight. 729-3776. A bunch of you guys want to chime in on what you saw from Game 7. We're going to let you, plus our thoughts on the one thing that Miami did that Boston wasn't ready for. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 